Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. My name is Matt and thank you all for being with me today. If you want to hit the like or subscribe button, that would be great. And you can also help me out by leaving me a comment or a review wherever you listen to this. Today we're talking about eye diseases and I'm going to focus mostly on wet AMD as well as diabetic retinopathy. And I'm also going to talk about the companies Adverum, Kodiak, and Regenix Bio. They all presented some interesting data about a month or two ago, and I really wanted to get a better handle on what's going on with the space, the current treatments, where the space is going. So I'm going to touch on all of those things. And before I do that, though, I am going to talk about some of the latest biotech updates we've seen. So that'll be good. And otherwise, yeah, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, all the Americans who are celebrating today. I am actually Canadian, but I do live in the U.S., so I will gladly take the two days and celebrate your holiday. So with that, let's just get right to it. And the first company I want to talk about is, of course, Ameren. And I'm talking about Ameren because an Oppenheimer analyst downgraded the stock to a $7 price target. I have no idea what this guy is thinking. He's probably expecting the FDA to issue a complete response letter or something dramatic like that. Um, who knows what's going on behind closed doors, but I think this decision is not going to win out in the long term. We also saw the evaporate data, and this was a data set that was coming out that was going to look at the effect of Vesepa, Ameren's drug, on plaque stability. And if you know anything about atherosclerosis, you know that plaque stability is very important, and maintaining that stability actually prevents major cardiovascular events. So, in trying to understand what the mechanism by which Vesepa works, studying its effect directly on plaque stability is a good idea. And the data that we saw was nine-month interim data, and it was kind of mixed. We saw some effects on certain types of plaques, but then we didn't see really any effects on other types of plaques, and the overall conclusion was that Vesepa doesn't have a significant effect on plaque stability at this stage. Now, this data was only nine-month data, and if we compare it to the reduced study, we know that at nine months, there wasn't a significant difference between the control and the Vesepa group. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this is a mechanistic-type study. So even despite not knowing what the mechanism is, I don't think that prevents the adoption of Vesepa in being prescribed by doctors. So that's the main thing, and I think we should, you know, we'll wait until the final data comes out. And even if there is no effect there, I don't think it's a big deal. Moving on, let's talk about CRISPR therapeutics. And we heard a little while ago that they released some interim data on two patients for their therapy that aims to increase fetal hemoglobin, thus improve blood disorders. And the two types of diseases that they're looking at is beta thalassemia and sickle cell disease. And they found that at nine months, one beta thalassemia patient is now transfusion independent, and the sickle cell disease patient is vaso-occlusive crises-free also. So this is very positive data for the company. I was originally interested in them because I thought that they were a bit overvalued, but I'm glad I didn't short them because they're much higher than they were when I thought about shorting them. And they have a collaboration with Vertex on this therapy, and they are in the forefront of CRISPR therapies. So I'm not going to short them now, and this data is positive, but we'll see what happens once they start increasing their enrollment. The next thing I want to talk about is Viking Therapeutics, and they are a NASH company. And we heard in the last two weeks that the IND was cleared by the FDA, and their Phase 2B trial is open for enrollment. So now what we're waiting for is completion of enrollment and then waiting for that interim data. Now, this could take a while, and for that reason, I'm probably going to write some covered calls on the shares I own, 
and in that way create some income while I wait for the stock to do anything else. But I don't really see the stock going above eight until we see some of that interim data. Moving on, let's talk about Global Blood Therapeutics. And the reason for that is that we saw the FDA approved Voxolator early. And this has good implications for the stock. Obviously, they're going to get to start, start moving some product, which is good to see. Um, I did sell the, the shares I was holding from around 40 and change to the low 70s. And uh, I'm very happy with that trade, thankfully. And I got to take another look at Global Blood and see where they're at before I invest any more money into them. But I'm happy with that trade, that's for sure. And the other thing I wanted to mention is they're not the only company that has seen some early approvals from the FDA. So I think we've seen some increases in other stocks that, that I'm holding because they might get an early approval as well. This includes Amarin, Esperion, and Amune, who have PDUFA dates coming soon. So you'll love to see that. The last company I want to talk about before we move into our feature story is the Medicines Company. And this is a company that has commercialized an siRNA molecule that targets PCSK9. So the reason why I like this is that PCSK9 obviously is important for the cardiovascular space. There's been other drugs developed for PCSK9 inhibition, but MDCO has developed an siRNA formulation to decrease PCSK9, and they've shown good data on this, and they were acquired by Novartis for $9.7 billion. So this is exciting not only because it's in the cardiovascular space, but it's also given us some more hope on mergers and acquisitions. And I hate to predict whether or not a company is going to get acquired, but this does breathe new life into the XBI, I think, because more people are hopeful that their favorite biotech could be acquired. And we've actually seen the whole sector is doing incredibly well, and this seemingly came out of nowhere. Um, six months ago, it seems like you couldn't short enough biotech stocks and make money, but now that sentiment has entirely changed, We've gotten great news on a lot of companies, and I think this Medicines Co. acquisition has also helped change the sentiment in the sector. So you'll love to see that kind of stuff, and hopefully it continues. But let's get to our major story for today. And with that, I want to talk about eye diseases, and the first one I'm going to touch on is age-related macular degeneration. So this condition is a progressive medical condition. It results in blurred vision or complete vision loss. And the way it's been described to me is that in the center of the visual field, you'll start to be seeing blurred items more frequently, and eventually this gets worse and worse, till eventually you just start seeing a black area in the middle of your visual field. So pretty debilitating. 6.2 million people are affected globally, and there are gradations in severity. AMD is split between dry AMD and wet AMD. Dry makes up most of the patients that have this, but dry AMD is asymptomatic. So it seems like a lot of people have some characteristics with dry AMD, but because it's asymptomatic, you don't feel the need to do any sort of treatment. Once it progresses into wet AMD, the categorizations of severity start to make more sense as your vision becomes worse and worse. And then eventually you end up with irreversible loss of retinal cells as AMD gets really bad. This condition is characterized by abnormal proliferation of endothelial cells in the choriocapillaris. So what happens here is that for some reason, and AMD itself is idiopathic, meaning we don't really know why it occurs, but we do know the mechanism. So what happens for some reason is that a signal happens that causes endothelial cells to proliferate. And it's an attempt to create new blood vessels. And these blood vessels, though, are fragile and abnormal. So what happens is as they connect to the old vasculature, they leak. They leak blood as well as protein. 
and this goes under the macula, which leads to irreversible damage to the retina. Diabetic retinopathy, on the other hand, we know what the cause is, but the outcome is relatively similar. So the damage that's caused here is actually due to the uncontrolled blood sugar in diabetes mellitus. So what happens originally is that as your blood sugar becomes uncontrolled, this damages small blood vessels as well as neurons of the eye, but the initial stages are non-proliferative, similar to dry AMD. Eventually, as the blood sugar remains uncontrolled, proliferative diabetic retinopathy leads to a similar outcome where you get this endothelial cell proliferation, abnormal and fragile blood vessels connect to the existing blood vasculature, and then you get leakage of protein and blood, leading to damage of the macula of the retina. Now, there's significantly more patients that are affected by this condition, and that is one-third of 285 million diabetics worldwide. So the whole market is pretty big. Now, let's talk about vascular endothelial growth factors, and these are relevant because this molecule is actually responsible for promoting blood vessel formation. So there's multiple different isoforms of VEGF, but they're factors that stimulate both vasculogenesis as well as angiogenesis. Vasculogenesis refers to the de novo creation of blood vessels, whereas angiogenesis refers to the branching and extension of existing blood vessels. And the normal paradigm of how we think about this is that cells will secrete various isoforms of this molecule in response to hypoxia. For some reason, this system becomes overactive in the eye in patients of either diabetic retinopathy and wet AMD, such that the VEGF will be secreted by these cells and then bind to the VEGF receptor on endothelial cells or precursor stem cells to create these abnormal blood vessels. And so diseases that are associated with overproduction of VEGF are multiple cancers and these diseases of the eye. And underproduction is actually common in some diseases too, such as pulmonary emphysema. So let's talk about the current treatment. And the regimen right now for these eye conditions are monthly intravitreal injections of either anti-VEGF antibodies, which is Lucentis, or VEGF inhibitors, which is ILEA. And what these compounds do is they prevent the function of VEGF such that there is no production of blood vessels, and then you don't get leakage of protein in blood, and the neuronal retinal cells are protected in this way. What ends up happening is your vision actually improves about six to seven points on the BCVA test, which is the best corrected visual acuity test. And that's that test you go in when you see the optometrist where you'll cover one eye or leave both eyes open and read the letters as they get progressively smaller. The total sales for both ILEA and Lucentis in 2018 is $5.7 billion. And this includes a range of indications that involve overproliferation of endothelial cells. It's estimated that the global market of anti-VEGF compounds is around $10 billion, with most of that being made up of wet AMD patients. So you can imagine thinking about this, given that they're monthly injections, there's a large opportunity for some kind of new therapy to come out that reduces the number of injections that are needed or improves that visual acuity. And the way I see the, the space moving is towards new formulations that include existing antibodies or VEGF inhibitors or a gene therapy that expresses these antibodies or inhibitors endogenously in the eye. So we're going to talk about Novartis's Beoview, Kodiak Science's KSI301, or the gene therapy companies Regenix Bio, Adverum, and their gene therapies. So to start with the advanced formulations, Novartis got their drug Beoview approved on October 7th in 2019, 
and this is a humanized single-chain antibody fragment. And for some reason, because it's an antibody fragment, it's able to be dosed higher less frequently so that it's retained in the eye for longer and doses can be given less frequently. Kodiak Science's KSI301, on the other hand, is still early in the clinical process, but it's a phosphorylcholine-based biopolymer that's conjugated to an antibody against VEGF. Because it's got this biopolymer, it makes it difficult for the eye to secrete it and get it out of the eye, so it sticks around for longer, superseding the need for monthly injections. That's the point, anyway. If we switch gears to the gene therapies, on the other hand, Regenix Bios RGX314 is a NAV-AAV8 vector that expresses the antigen-binding fragment of the anti-VEGF antibody. Adverin Biotherapeutics has ADVM022, and this is the gene therapy version of ILEA with the AAV7M8 capsid. So with these therapies, seemingly, they'll be injected into the eye, and then cells of the eye will express this gene endogenously, superseding the need for monthly injections. So let's look at the data. And I'm comparing here Beovu to KSI301. And since Beovu is already approved, I took the phase three studies here, and we're looking at the Hawk and Harrier study, where patients that have never been treated with any anti-VEGF therapy came in, and what Novartis did was looked for non-inferiority with Beovu compared to ILEA. And what they found is that in both trials, they got a plus 6.6-ish level in the BCVA test, which concluded that Beovu was non-inferior to ILEA. Now, the other benefit, though, that they saw was that over 50% of patients on Beovu only required once every 12-week dosing. And this was after a three-month loading dose period. And then what they would do is, as patients were coming in for their treatment, they were adjusted to once every eight weeks if the disease started to come back. So we can see here that this is a major improvement to ILEA. But if we compare this to KSI301, we see here that these patients got an improvement of plus 4.7 on top of their baseline. And when we're comparing these, we need to consider that the patients in the KSI301 trial were actually already being treated with monthly treatments of either ILEA or Lucentis or some other kind of anti-VEGF therapy. Now, the other thing that the KSI301 compound did is that 83% of patients reached four months or longer before retreatment, and this is after a three-month loading dose. So where we're at right now is we don't know how often these patients being treated with the Kodiak drug are going to need retreatment, and this study is at 20 weeks, so it's quite impressive. If we compare this to the gene therapies, Adverin presented interim data of their phase one study, and in their optic cohort at 24 weeks, they saw that patients were at a negative two letters on the BCVA for six patients. Now, this isn't too bad. All these patients were being treated with ILEA or some other kind of anti-VEGF treatment, so being down two letters isn't significant for me. They also saw that these patients required zero rescue injections, and this is pretty big, especially if we compare it to Regenix Bio's treatment, where out of 12 patients, three of them needed to have rescue injections. So that's one benefit that Adverum has seen, even though the cohort was half the size. In terms of effectiveness of the Regenix bio treatment, they saw in cohort four a plus two letter benefit, whereas in cohort five they saw a plus five letter benefit. I don't hold too much stock into this because in the cohort five, they saw a lot of the patients had a lower baseline. So we'll see if this kind of benefit progresses in their next trial, but I'm not super optimistic for this reason.
I do think Regenix Bio is ahead of Adverum when it comes to this, so I like them for that reason. Adverum was presenting Phase 1 interim data, whereas Regenix Bio is presenting Phase 1 2A data. Now let's move on to safety. And when I talk about safety, I'm going to have to talk about the routes of injection because they're very relevant for how the safety data played out. So all injections are intravitreal, except for RGX314, which was subretinal. The common side effects for intravitreal injections are things like conjunctive hemorrhage, eye pain, or reduced visual acuity. None of these are particularly severe, but if we compare that to subretinal injections, the adverse events are particularly severe, things like detached retina. Now, intravitreal injections with gene therapy are supposedly not ideal because they're not good for long-term sustainability of efficacy. And the paper that I read said that around one year you start to lose efficacy with an intravitreal injection of a gene therapy. And that's because the cell populations that are exposed to the gene therapy are limited when you inject in that vitreous body. And it's for this reason that Regenix Bio is using subretinal injections, which are more dangerous but allows more populations of cells to be transduced, specifically cells of the RPE as well as photoreceptors. Now, patients and doctors are going to have to consider the benefits and the risks associated with doing these subretinal injections. And as of yet, it looks like Adverum's therapy, which is using intravitreal injections, are still showing very good efficacy. So for me, looking at that 52-week or longer data is going to be indicative of whether or not their therapy has that durability. We could also see reduced durability in Regenix Bio. We don't really know yet, but I think it's safe to say that them attempting to do these subretinal injections are to make sure that these patients do have that long-term durability of treatment. The other thing that's relevant to this is that intravitreal injections are an outpatient treatment, whereas subretinal injections require an operating room as well as a vitrectomy. So that's another thing that patients are going to have to consider is whether or not they want to go through the drama of being operated on versus just an outpatient setting. Now, one thing I need to mention, though, is that Regenix Bio is looking towards the future, and they do have a clinical hold on their subretinal injection by the FDA. And hopefully this gets cleared by the time they do their phase two trial. But Regenix Bio has partnered with a company called ClearSide. And this is so that they can do supracoroidal injections, which is really the best of both worlds. This injection method is an outpatient therapy, and it also transduces cells of the RPE as well as photoreceptors. So we are expecting data on the supracoroidal injection in 2020, which should be big for Regenix Bio because it should lead to long-term efficacy while maintaining that outpatient setting. And I think long-term, that's where the field is going to go. Now, I'm going to link to a paper below that I found really useful to, to understand all of this. Also, I am not an expert in eye injections, so everybody should do their own research when it comes to this. This is my uh, layman's view of the space as I see it, though. So let's talk about some catalysts as well as where the companies are at today. Regenix Bio is sitting at a market cap of $1.5 billion. Adverum is about half of that, and Kodiak Sciences is around $1 billion. Regenix Bio is going to initiate a Phase 2B trial in Q1 of 2020. Adverum, on the other hand, is increasing their cohorts for their Phase 1 study, and they're going to have some readouts in early 2020 for their 52-week study as well as 24-week data. I'm really interested in the 52-week data for Adverum for the reasons that I mentioned in the safety area. I want to make sure that they do have that durability. Kodiak Sciences, on the other hand, has already initiated a Phase 2 trial in October of this year, and they're going to have interim data in 2020. In terms of positions that I hold, I do have some in Regenix Bio, and I'm not holding in any of the others. 
I'm probably going to wait to see that 52-week data for Adverin Biotherapeutics, but really you could make an argument for holding all three of these companies because I do think the field is going to move in this direction. I am biased towards gene therapy because I do think it has seen a lot of success and it is probably going to be the future. So I'm obviously partial towards Advarum as well as Regenix Bio, but I really think that if Kodiak can maintain the durability that they see in that phase one study, there's no reason to suggest that they couldn't be a real contender in this space too. So that's what I have on the iSpace right now. And next week, we're going to continue to watch the follow-up to impeachment proceedings with Trump. I think the whole thing is pretty tiresome at this point, but it is very relevant for the future of the country. Also need to follow up on the trade deal potential. We saw yesterday that Trump signed a Hong Kong bill in support of the protesters, and I can't imagine this is sitting very well with Beijing, but whether or not they're going to retaliate is, uh, is unknown, and we need to watch out for that. I do have a list of companies I want to look at, and I do want to mention that Orenia does have a readout coming up before the end of Q4 this year, and I do have that call spread on, so I'm going to keep an eye out for that. But yeah, I do want to thank everybody for watching, and anybody who's an expert in ophthalmology or optometry, please let me know what you think of this video, and uh, whether or not you have anything to add when it comes to the injection routes and the safety of any of these companies. And with that, I want to thank everybody for watching. I'm not going to do a portfolio wrap-up because we are in an awkward time of the week. I think overall I'm sitting around plus 10% for the year, which is still trailing the XBI, which is doing ridiculously well this year. And congrats to everybody who's been holding long from the beginning of the year. But if anybody wants to help me out, please hit the like or subscribe button and definitely leave me a review or a comment wherever you listen or watch this podcast. And thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time.